Okay, yeah, so we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew 12, uh, verse uh, kind of 22 onwards. I, I, I just feeling this morning, actually, while we were worshipping, what a great moment being at church together is to recalibrate yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like, even if you've had a really busy week or busy few weeks, sometimes you can lie in bed in the morning and think, oh, I'll just have a cup of tea, fire up an egg sandwich, go back to bed again, you know, not bother with church. But actually, it, it really recalibrates you, doesn't it, to, to be with the church family. It's so good. And, uh, and part of our thing, too, is, is systematically working through the Bible. And um, I think I just nearly wrecked the stand again. And uh, for me, um, I, cause I've spoken quite a lot this week at different things. And um, I think I only caught up with Dan on what the subject was very late in the week. And normally you just think, oh, that's cool. You know, because I, I was working Saturday morning as well. I think Saturday afternoon I'll come home, have a cup of tea, get my Bible out and do a little bit of sermon prep for Sunday morning. But uh, to find out that today's passage is about the unforgivable sin. Um, and, I, and, I, and I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'll, um, maybe I'll just like, let's do some stuff about being a great dad. <laughs> let's try and wrangle out of it because it's Father's Day. thought, no, I'm going to sit down. We're going to wrestle this one through. Thanks, Dan, for putting me on the program for that one. It's deeply appreciated. Uh, so, uh, yes, uh, here we go. Um, for those of you who are now thinking, hold on, he just said the unforgivable sin. There's an unforgivable sin. Yes, according to the Bible, there's an unforgivable sin. And a lot of people worry about it, quite rightly. A lot of people are sitting there, maybe even now, thinking, I wonder if I committed that. What if I did? Is there no way back? I've, I've prayed with many Christians who think they've fallen off the cliff in terms of their relationship with God. And, you know, plus what in this, this kind of like, sword of Damocles is hanging over them in their relationship with Jesus. Did I commit this unforgivable sin? So we will navigate this and find out together it will be an adventure, a roller coaster ride for the next 30 minutes or so. Let's see. So if you have a Bible with you, we go to uh, Matthew uh, 12 and we'll take it from verse 22 so that it sits in context. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? I mean, I love the way the Bible is so succinct. A, a blind and deaf man came, and Jesus healed him, and we think, and we're all sitting there quite calmly. Oh, wonderful. It's amazing. And he's still doing it. He's still doing it. And the people were astonished. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But it is by
by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Wow. That's pretty full on. I don't know how that makes you feel, but it leaves me with a little bit of sense of fear and trembling. I mean, I've, I've made choices with the Bible. Many of you will know this, because uh, we say it often enough, but for those who are new in the church, our approach to God's Word is that it's God's Word. And we have chosen, or I have made a life choice since giving my life to Christ. And having a, a bit of a major epiphany, only some years ago actually, that I will take this in its plainest and simplest form as far as possible. And for many years, I would look at things that Jesus said and think, no, 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 no. What Jesus was meaning was this. What he was trying to say was this, like, sell your possessions and give to the poor. You know, I'd think, yeah, you know, as, what Jesus is saying is have the heart. You know, no, I think Jesus knew what he was saying. And I think he's being very, very clear here as well. But it does leave us in fear and trembling. So I'm going to make some pronouncements and uh, make some statements. We're going to try and work this through uh, systematically. Uh, let me just say this to start with. Yes, you can sin against the Holy Spirit. The Bible is absolutely clear. And for me, yes, it's easy to grieve the Holy Spirit, actually. Like Ephesians 4 it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and I've quoted these verses, I believe, in the past. Um, I always struggle with a handheld when I'm trying to flick through my Bible as well, with my clumsy uh, left hand. But let's, um, let's look at Judges uh, 16, uh, which I find absolutely terrifying. This is, this is the story of Samson. Um, who had taken a Nazarite vow, you know, don't touch dead stuff, don't cut your hair, don't go partying, you know, all that kind of thing. And he did it all. He did it all. Now, people say that Samson, who had supernatural strength from God, lost his strength because he had his hair cut. No. No, he lost his strength because he broke every vow. And it, it was a straw that broke the camel's back. But here's the thing. Look at this. Um... I feel like breaking into the Tom Jones song as soon as I say this. Uh, Judges 16, 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything. Honestly, I've just got this compulsion to start singing, but I'm going to resist. Oh, such a temptation. But you'll deviate us away from the truth, so I won't be still Tom Jones. Okay. She sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines. This is, this is Delilah. Doing his legs, basically. 
So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. And after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Bearing in mind, his strength came from the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. I find that one of the most terrifying verses in the Bible, if I'm honest with you. And so it goes on, then the Philistines seized him, gouged his eyes out, took him to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. And then it says, but the hair on his head began to grow again. And so we know the end of the story. He takes them all out and dies. But the, uh, the fascinating thing for me is it says the spirit of the Lord left him and he didn't even know. Can it be so that you grieve the spirit long term maybe over you keep breaking the thing, you keep breaking the rules, you keep straying and straying and straying. You numb and blunt, numb and blunt, numb and blunt. That's what you do to the spirit. You grieve, grieve, grieve. You numb and blunt, you numb and blunt, you numb and blunt. And eventually, you don't even know that the Spirit of the Lord has left you. Because you are so far gone. You know, Matthew 7 talks about staying on a narrow path. It's something I often talk about with people. And, and I, 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 for me, the, the illustration is this. Jesus said, the road to life is narrow. And the gate is narrow. And I think what we do is this. This is how we start grieving the Spirit. If this is like the narrow path... What we do is we start to like tread the edges down a little bit or we deal with shades of grey, maybe a little bit too much or we just like go one degree off course, just start flirting with the line a little bit. Oh, I saw if I do that or I just do that or I've not been caught out on that so I'll just do it a little bit more. thing is if like a 747 plane goes one degree off course flying from Heathrow to Vancouver, it's going to be hundreds of miles off course by the time it gets to the other side. And that's what happens. You just slightly deviate. You numb and you blunt. You numb and you blunt. You grieve, you grieve, you grieve. And then one day, you turn around and you don't even know where the path is. In fact, you've forgotten there was even a path. In fact, you don't even care anymore. Do you know why you don't care anymore? Because you grieve the Spirit so much, it's not even the thing that bothers you. That's what happens. When the Holy Spirit is active in your life, you know He's active in your life because you have a conscience. When we grieve the Spirit, we long-term persist in grieving the Spirit, your conscience starts to get numbed and blunted. So eventually you don't care anymore. This is how people commit adultery. A man or woman doesn't just wake up in the morning and think, I know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to have an affair with my neighbour. That doesn't happen. What happens is... The process started years ago when they were on the path. One degree of course, numb you blunt, numb you blunt. Conscience gets lessened, numb you blunt. Grieve, grieve, grieve. And then one day you turn around and, and then you wake up and you find yourself next to someone having had an affair or doing something else that you shouldn't have done, fiddling the tax man. Or I worked with a bloke who was put in prison for fiddling the tax. Work for the civil service. Work for a lot of people who've been in prison, to be honest with you. 
and uh, he he got done for fraud. And uh, I said to him once, you know, he got quite a middle class guy, he then found himself in the dock one day, Christian guy, lay reader in the church, preacher. Woke up one morning and found himself being carted off by the police and then found himself in the dock and only a month later has been led down to strange ways, prison. How did my life get to that? I tell you how his life got to that. Nick a quid there, two quid here, five of there. That's what he said it started. Feel the expenses this way, that way. Got away with that. Got away with a little bit more, a little bit more. Off the narrow path, a little bit more, a little bit more. Eventually it's thousands of pounds. And he stopped caring. Thousands of pounds, thousands of pounds. Grieve the spirit. You numb and you blunt. You numb and you blunt. Gloriously, of course, God can bring us back and we'll come on to that. But that's how it happens. That's the process. I felt the pressure of that in my own life. It's why we need accountability. It's why we need church. It's why we need each other. It's why we need honest relationship. Seriously. If you don't have it, you're going to get got. I'm in prayer triplets and accountability groups like coming out of my ears because I probably need more because I know what I'm like. I need people asking me honest questions. That's a way to keep yourself on the narrow path. But the first point really is, yes, you can grieve the Holy Spirit and yes, you can numb and blunt the presence of the Spirit, the witness of the Spirit, is you have a conscience. So can I just say this to let you off the hook a little bit? If you're sitting there worrying that you committed the unforgivable sin, it means you haven't. Well, you haven't, because you wouldn't care if you had, because the Spirit's gone, it's left you. If you're sitting here this morning and think, don't give a stuff about this, think again. Think about that, because you're dicing with eternal stuff, as the Word tells me. Two things at work in this passage, as far as I can see. One is, uh, very simply, attributing to the devil what is of God, and the second one is consciously, persistently, deliberately hardening your heart to God. Hardening your heart to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And, and doing that persistently, consciously, deliberately, long term. I have to call it as I see it. Sorry on Father's Day, it feels so grim. But it places you in very dangerous territory. And if I don't call that out this morning, then I'm doing you a disservice, an injustice, actually. Because sometimes when we hear teaching like this and we're feeling a little bit inside, that's actually the Holy Spirit saying, come back. Come back. I'm giving you an opportunity. Come back. Let me say this, that often we find ourselves on the stem of a why in life. I find this a lot. And I can go that way, away from God's path. Well, I can go that way towards the work of the Spirit and the work of Jesus in my life. We face these choices all the time. And some of you may be sitting here this morning, even in secret, having known that you've gone the wrong way on the why. If you're worrying about that now, if your conscience is seared about that, that's good news. That's good news. God's at work. If you're sitting there again, and I'll say it, you don't care, that's bad news. You know, so this is, if you're hearing this and feeling agitated, this is God wooing you and calling you back. Hear that, hear that this morning. It's so important. I, I can't do this passage, the injustice of not calling this out. John fifteen sixteen 16 uh, is very, very clear. I mean, John, 1 John 1, 9 says that God is faithful to forgive, which is the good news. 
But can we just look at the, the work of the Spirit together before we advance any further? So if you go to John, kind of chapter 15-ish, if you have a Bible, it would be great if you could see this coming out of the Word this morning. So John 15, verse uh, 26, I think that is. When the Advocate comes, the Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you, you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So when the, when the Spirit comes, uh, the Spirit of truth that goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So the Spirit is the witness to the presence of Jesus. And then so it goes on. When we go over the page into chapter 16, it says this, But now I'm going to him who sent me, verse 5, None of you ask me where are you going, rather you are filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Spirit is at work across the earth, God's Spirit. Convicting people is why 70,000 people a day are coming to Christ. The Spirit of God is at work. So I always feel this. You know, as Christians, we're filled with joy because we're saved. And we're going to heaven. And we can have life to the full now. It's something we can deeply celebrate. But also, when, when we feel conviction, that is also something to celebrate. That's a cool thing. It means that liberating power is about to settle on your life. Now, we don't always feel like that. You know, particularly in evangelical churches, we can feel like we are but worms. I am but a worm. I'm worthless. My life is miserable. I'm a sinner. It's like a Monty Python sketch, carrying a plank of wood and whacking yourself in the head. Purge my sin. Bang. No, Jesus does that through the cross. So he does. It's beautiful. Do you feel in conviction? What an amazing thing that is. It's all the process of restoration. But here's what I wanted to say about this. Forgiveness is there, but the more you harden your heart, the harder it is to hear the whisper of the Spirit. The more you persist in your sinful activity, the harder it is to hear the liberating voice of God saying, come home, son. Come home, daughter. Forgiveness is there. The harder it becomes, you see, because you stray off the narrow path, the whisper becomes more and more distant. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? That's why it's so important we stay on the path, take the right decision when we're on that stem of why. But as I said, if you're worried about that, then you're in good shape. It's when we stop worrying, you're in bad shape. The time to start worrying, actually, is when you don't feel any kind of guilt anymore, actually about some of your activity. Uh, that's what I always think when I'm pastoring people or counselling them. I'm not saying stay guilty all your life. What I'm saying is, is when that thing rises up about that thing, that's the Spirit of God at work. Here's a few brief points in relation to that. Number one, don't resist the Holy Spirit. You know, keep walking with God. Keep your heart open. You know, uh, and if you're sitting here this morning and you're not a, yet a believer in Jesus or you're not in with both feet, which is very possible. I don't know all of your stories. You could be sitting in church for years and not be all in with both feet. Let me tell you my story very briefly. 
two weeks before I gave my life to Christ, I said to a bunch of people in the church that I was going to, do you know what I think? I think it's good for you, Jesus and all that. I think it's great. Brilliant for you, not for me. Brilliant for you. Awesome. And the process of hardening my heart started. Up until that point, I was like, I'm open. I'm open. But then I came to a conclusion, I'll have God as an insurance policy. Like, if something goes wrong, like I bin me motorcycle or, you know, need to have my leg amputated or something, then maybe I'll pray. Or if like my mum's going to die or something and we had serious illness in my parents at one point, my mum at one point. It's like, I pray because it's like an insurance policy. But it's good for you, not for me. There might be people who are thinking that. Or I'm going to flirt with it a little bit. I'm going to tick the boxes so I keep God kind of moderately on side, but I'm not going to do the other stuff. Two weeks later, I was on my knees having given my life to Christ. Because this happened. I'm standing in the, I'm sitting in the service and the preacher's preaching and he says, this isn't me speaking, this is God speaking. And I thought, ooh, you nutter. And then he said, it's not, he said, I'm going to say it again, this is not Robert speaking, this is God speaking. I'm thinking, it looks like Robert to me. And the only reason I went there was because I fancied Karen and I wanted to go out with her. I was there for like, hideously sinful reasons. I wanted to, you know, kind of wreck this good Christian woman and take her out for a pizza and get my wicked way, you know. I mean, I had it all planned out. I didn't want to think about getting married or having two beautiful daughters and all of that wasn't planned. I think it was Karen's plan from the word go. But it wasn't my plan. And uh, so I'm only there for that reason. And then he says it again. It's not Robert speaking, it's God speaking. I think, you complete idiot. Ah, oh, stupid. And then he says, there's someone sitting here. He said, this is God. I'm thinking, stop it with your, this is God stuff, will you? Do me head in. Then he said, there's one person sitting here. This is God speaking to him. If you don't stand up now in front of all of these people and give your life to Christ, you won't go on to all the things I've called you to do, which is to devote your life to telling people about Jesus. And you've got a choice. You can go that way or you can go that way. So stand up now. I'm thinking, you nutter. And then he says it again. This is not Robert. This is God. And he said, so stand up now. And he said again, you won't go on to do the things I'm calling you to do. And I looked down and I was standing up. And I started sobbing and crying like a man cries. I mean, it was messy and loud and... Big crying, you know, like man crying. It's like, oh, you know, like it was a brethren chapel where people were quite serious and everyone wore suits and they'd never experienced anything like this before. And then they led me out the back afterwards. It's quite funny. Right? Some of you know this story, but the two Ronnies came over, one Aldridge and one Blows. They came over and went, We need to talk to you in the back room, <laughs> you know, because I destroyed the service. But anyway, uh, and they interrogated me. It's a funny story, I'll tell you another time. Um, what happened next? But the point being is this. I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't responded to the whisper of the Spirit that day. I can't call it. Because I think the Holy Spirit moves in particular times at particular ways. 
for a particular purpose. And if you don't respond in that particular time, way, and purpose, in that moment, I don't think he moves like that again. I think there's other opportunities, but maybe I wouldn't be doing what I do now. Maybe I wouldn't be standing here. I don't know. I can't call it. What I do know is, in that moment, I responded to the Holy Spirit. And it changed my life forever. For eternity, actually. And so I'm saying to some of you this morning, are you going to respond to the Spirit? Because I woke up this morning convinced that the Holy Spirit is going to be speaking to one or two of you this morning. But you're going to respond to that little whisper. Little whisper of the Spirit as it happens. Don't resist him. Another thing I want you to say. To avoid grieving the Holy Spirit and going on a path that takes us away from Christ, hardening our hearts maybe to the point where we, where forgiveness is no longer possible because we are so away from God. I just want to say this. Avoid cynicism and complaint as a lifestyle. It is the work of the enemy. I'm utterly convinced about that. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Encourage one another and build each other up. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, I'm not saying don't critique stuff or having honest conversations. That's not what I'm saying. I think our primary default language, though, is optimism, hope, cheering each other on, being a blessing. I think, you know, if it becomes habitual... Habitual complaint and cynicism is amazingly used by the devil, I think. And it leads you off the path. I've worked in organizations where the culture is that of complaint and moaning. And, and I tell you what it did. It killed my soul. It's so hard when you're surrounded by that. And one of the great joys for me about coming here to church is I, I hear very little of that, actually. And I'm not saying, please don't hear this wrong, that you can't come to me as an elder and say, I'm really not happy about this. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you can't come and say, I need to call you out on something, Carl, because something you said or did. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about keeping the air clear. I'm not talking about not hearing advice or ideas that you know, are better than ones you've had. I'm not, not talking about that. I don't see that as complaint. Being hurt by something, clearing the air, I don't see that as this. What I'm talking about is this. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? It's that. That's purely the work of the enemy. I totally believe it, and it kills us. It kills your soul. I've gone through seasons of it, and it's horrible. It takes you off the path. Say good things and it'll pull you out the nosedive. That's what I think. Cheer each other on. Have I ever told you about the honking geese thing? I love it. The geese, you know the geese that fly in V formation? Someone devoted their lives to, to try and understand why. Why they all honk. Someone gave their life to it. I love that. 
I love people who are amazing. Giving your life to that. And they worked out that the one at the front never honks. And they came up with all kinds of, like, reasons why the one at the front doesn't honk and the others do. Is it navigation or are they all trying to keep it pointing in the right direction? Why did you do that with a honk? And do you know what they think? They actually think the one at the front is taking more wind resistance, like it's into the wind and all that. That V formation is very efficient. And they, and they analysed the, pa <laughs> the pattern of the honking and they said the only thing we can call it as is it's spurring on the one at the front and the one ahead and the one ahead and the one ahead, but the one at the front's too tired. And as the one at the front peels off and goes back, because they rotate it, that one starts honking and the next one stops. How cool is that? Be a goose. <laughs> and like, when a goose gets shot by Farmer Jones and it, and it falls out of the sky, gets sick, do you know what happens? Every single time, two geese come out of formation and lay with it. They won't leave it until it either gets better or it dies. Then they fly off, protect each other. They cheer each other on and they protect each other. So get honking. That's what I'm saying. Cheer each other on and we'll stay on the path together and we'll make it through. We don't want to be a church with our hearts are hardened. I've seen it corporately. I've seen it. I've seen it corporately. We're a church. It grieves the spirit so much. It ceases to be a church and becomes a moaning shop. And then many years later, it's dead and it's gone. God's spirit's gone. That's, that's the sin against the Holy Spirit. It is. I've seen the presence of God come off churches and ministries. I've seen it. Dear God, let that not be us. Third thing I just want to say, and then I'll, I'll be done very soon, but these are so important to you know, get under the skin of this passage. I believe that another way to prevent committing this sin is total and utter submission to Christ, which is so against the age. Total and utter and complete submission to Christ. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee with you. Submission to God equates resisting the devil and him fleeing. Submission to God. We don't talk about the submission and obedience, but it's absolutely critical. I believe the devil's work is unbelief. I believe it stems out of lack of trust. That whisper of doubt in Genesis 3, when, when the serpent whispers, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, did God say, did God say, did he say, and puts that doubt in place. That's when unbelief creeps in and cynicism and all the other stuff, and we stop submitting to God. For me, submission to God is total trust. Proverbs 3, 5, lean not on your own understanding. In all things, trust the Lord. Don't think you know it all. Submit to God. That's why we submit to the word in this church. We think God knows best, not my ideas. Two ways you can approach your faith. You can look at the needs of the world and try and understand the Bible through them, through the lens of those needs. Or you can look at the Bible and try and understand the world and the needs of the world through the lens of the Bible. That's what we choose to do. Uh, we put our trust in God and his word first. That's my starting point. That's the way I've chosen to go. And I've chosen to submit over the years. There have been times when I've wrestled and struggled, but I've chosen to live my life on the basis not of what suits me first, 
but actually suits God's kingdom. I've made that choice. It's why I do what I do. So I've moved around a bunch of times. I'll choose to submit my life to the needs of the kingdom first. I'm not talking about my health and my well-being and stuff, being silly about it. I'm talking about in the big picture. Let me give an example. I was a student pastor. I planted a church, and then I did some youth work, and then I, I was working under an amazing man of God that I'd still call a mentor called Bob, and then uh, he retired due to his health, and I ended up becoming senior pastor of an amazing church which Teresa and Simon were part of, actually, uh, before I became senior. They left, I think, before I became senior pastor. Very wise move. And I led that church, and it was beautiful, and it grew. And we, the last year I was there, we had about 97 people were saved and baptized. Absolutely incredible time. And I had an amazing team. And then God called me away after three years. I couldn't believe it. My heart was broken. I was so hurt, I couldn't open a website for 18 months. That's how I felt. I didn't want to do it, but I submitted my life to Christ. And is actually laying down being senior pastor of one of the fastest growing Baptist churches in the country, different congregations and all kinds of fun stuff happening, to go and work for a guy, to be the, the not the top dog anymore. And that was hard, actually. Especially when, you know, he was related to royalty and I was a Romford scumboy. You know, and the first time I had lunch with him, he slapped my hand for reaching across the table too far in front of a bunch of people. Literally, I reached over for the jam and he went, don't stretch, clip my hand. In front of a bunch of people, I think, what have I done? I've gone from leading this massive church with this great team to sit here and get my wrist physically slapped. It's insane. But I didn't. I served him for two years, actually. I carried his bags, really. And then God elevated me. I ended up becoming CEO because God shone the light. Then I was CEO of this amazing ministry for nearly a decade. We saw it go all over the world and amazing stuff happen. It was fantastic. And when you're the CEO of a ministry, do you know what you can do? Whatever you want. Get out when you want and do what you want. I mean, I'm, I've got ADHD, so I'm really busy all the time. Plate spinning. So it's never, motivation's never been an issue for me. But I'm, you know... I was uh, on it, do whatever I want, master of my own destiny. What a beautiful position that is to be. It's like running your own business, but a big one. And the people are very honouring in a ministry like that. I go around the world and, you know, people would, people would treat me like a kind of a men's ministry rock star. It's cool. I mean, that goes to your head after a while, even if you're really humble. You know, I mean, it, it starts to get to you. It does. You'll be so careful with it. And uh, God called me away. And he called me away again to work for someone else. So I had nearly 20 years of doing my own thing in the end, and then I go to work for someone else again where I'm not master of my own destiny again. That's actually quite hard to do that, and quite rare. You don't see many people doing it. But why did I do it? Because A, because God called, but B, I've made a choice to submit my life to the purposes of God. And I felt I could reach more people for Jesus doing what I do now than what I did before in the role that I was in. And I need to make way for someone else because my life submitted to God. You're less likely to grieve the Spirit if you bring yourself under submission if you submit your life to Christ. Do you see what I mean? Those are the choices we have to make, and sometimes they're hard choices. And the starting point for me is very simple, and here I will rapidly close. The Bible says in Acts 2 and Mark 1, and various other places, the process of this is simple. Repent, believe, be baptized. That's it. Simple as that, repent. You do a U-turn. You don't go that way anymore. You're turned away. He's not feeling remorseful. Judas felt remorseful, topped himself. Peter was repentant for denying Christ 
and life came. It was a rock on which the church was built. That's repentance. You do a U-turn, you go a different direction. Some of you may need to do a U-turn with some of the things that are in your life today. What a beautiful thing that will be if you did that. We choose to believe. We choose to be people of belief and not doubt. And, and the Bible is very clear that we're to be, be baptized. And Romans 6 says, that is death to the old you. That is death to the old you. That old you's gone. The new you comes out of the water, spanking you, full of the spirit, life in front of you with Christ. Now, it doesn't mean to say you're going to be perfect. Most people sin by the time they get to the car park after being baptized. And that's cool. But what it's saying is you've died to the old way of life and a new life has begun. It's submission to God. So here's the thing. We stay on a narrow path. Where there is a stem of a wire, choose the godly direction. Surround yourself with good people. If your conscience is being pricked, that's a massively good thing. That means that God is at work with you, in you. If you don't care, think very hard. You're in dangerous territory. Let's kick into touch cynicism and doubt and complaint. Let's be full of hope and cheer each other on and start honking at each other. And cheer each other on like you wouldn't believe. I think this church should be and hopefully is characterized by people going, come on, son, have a go. Come on, let's do this thing for Jesus. You know, let's cheer each other on. And loads of crazy ideas coming out and full of passion for Jesus. Because only Jesus can transform lives, can't he? Only Jesus can take us where we want to go. Only the work of the Spirit in our lives can make us the people that we know we ought to be. Open your hearts to God. Open your lives to the Holy Spirit. Put the kingdom of God first and see what God does. You will be blown away when you do that. The adventure is insane. It's like a roller coaster ride. And I'll say this. I would much rather be on a roller coaster ride of faith than a boring tram. Do you know what I mean? I'd rather be riding a roller coaster Ups and downs, ups and downs. Waking Tiny up with a honk. There he is. Ups and downs, ups and downs. He's a tough week, old fellow, isn't he? I'm going to have a beer with him in Swindon next week. I'd rather be on the roller coaster, wouldn't you? Seriously? I'd rather be like, good times, bad times. Bad times come because I'm trying to have a go for Jesus. And I'm trying to change the world. I'm trying to change my community and I'm on a narrow path, not because I'm more religious about it, but I don't want to miss out on what God's doing. I don't want to stray so far over there that sin that tickles me a little bit and makes me feel good for 30 seconds takes me so far away from the purposes of God that I've totally blown it. And I look back one day when I die and I scrape into heaven and Jesus says, all these things I'd lined up for you to do, but you chose that stupid bull path, son. All this stuff I had for you, it can feel like life is stifled when you put the disciplines of God in place. But when we repent, we believe, we be baptized, and we choose that narrow path, and we ride the roller coaster, man alive, I'm convinced if we did that as a church, we did it corporately as well, one day we'll turn around on the other side, we'll be on a new earth together, we'll turn around and we think, what a ride that was. Come on, look at all those changed lives. How on earth did we do that? How did we plant a church in Pakistan and Mexico and Barbados? How did we do that? How did that even happen? 
We say because we stayed on a narrow path and the adventure with Christ was far greater and far bigger than anything that the devil could have tempted us with. That's what we'll think. That's what I'm up for. Are you? You're up for it? That's what I'm up for.